Welcome to the One Away Show, presented by BW Missions. I am Brian Wish, and I am your host, and thanks so much for being here. On this show, I sit down with compelling entrepreneurs, authors, and rising leaders to talk through their most transformative relationships, experiences, and epiphanies. Curated with entrepreneurial leaders in mind, we'll dig into these finite moments in people's lives and understand how they helped set their path forward. Jason Schumann is the founder-turned-investor who is on a mission to empower others with the confidence and tools to live a more fulfilling and successful life. Jason has been an entrepreneur for as long as he can remember. In college, he launched a direct-to-consumer footwear company that sold hand-sewn boat shoes and driving moccasins. He later went on to work at New York-based seed fund Corrigin Ventures, where he invested in several companies, including the recently public enterprise Smart lock company Laksh. Shout out Dhruva Rahendra. Currently, Jason is partner at Primary Venture Partners and has been working in New York as a VC for the past six years. He's passionate about working with founders that impact consumer behavior and daily living. In 2019, he was named Forbes 30 Under 30 in Venture Capital and was listed by the Venture Capital Journal as one of the top 40 rising stars. Jason, welcome to the One Away Show. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's been great getting to know you, follow along the the journey, especially on Twitter for, uh, you know, Jason's share some good stuff. Uh, so Jason, looking forward to doing this. And I'm curious, you know, what is the one away moment that you want to share with us today? It's going to be about landing my job in venture, uh, which honestly was after a very long and windy road. Awesome. Okay. Well, start us out. Um, why was it such a significant maybe milestone for you or a life-changing experience uh, being able to get a job in venture and where were you prior in your life that made it, you know, a significant moment? Yeah. So I guess for context, I grew up outside of Boston and my family were a lot of entrepreneurs and my mom uh, was a therapist and like I became super interested in really startups and technology when I was a kid. Uh, and in like middle school, I was writing business plans for like mobile payments on flip phones and uh, like literally mass text messaging back in 2004 and getting like shuttled in the city to meet with founders. And, you know, I always knew that I like wanted to be a founder and I wanted to start companies and I did. I started my first company uh, while I was an undergrad it was a direct-to-consumer footwear company that I started with my best friends, uh, really three of my best friends and my brother. Uh, and we bootstrapped the thing during my senior year of college back in 2012. And it was a ride. It was an absolute ride. Uh, and I learned a ton of lessons. I mean, it was like really, you know, good timing. Uh, I think we chose a mediocre market being the direct to consumer footwear market for a variety of reasons. Uh, and it was pretty poor execution, you know, much of which I will, you know, certainly shoulder the blame for, but, you know, throughout my college years and throughout my teenage years, I think everybody looked at me as like, okay, this kid's going to start companies. He's going to be an entrepreneur. And, you know, when you start a company and you start making noise, whether it's, you know, in your local community or in your college or in a city, you know, 
you start to really identify with like who you are as a person with that company or that thing. And about a year and a half out of school, um, you know, after I graduated, I was living up in Boston and I was feeling super burnt out, uh, really, really burnt out. And I, you know, remember not thinking about the company in the shower anymore. And I was like, I think we're done. And like, what do I want to do next? And, you know, I certainly tried to look out for the other people that were working with me first. And then I was worrying about my steps after that. But sitting there as a 23 year old who people looked up to as like being like an entrepreneur and really having an identity crisis uh, mm -hmm. of sorts uh, was a very challenging point for me. And so that's that's where that's where I would say the, the big fork in the road started and I, I had to start reflecting big time. Yeah, uh, one, I love that the vulnerability and the maybe uh, quarter life crisis slash identity crisis, I can relate in a lot of ways. Uh, so I guess a question I wanna ask you uh, on that before maybe we dive into where that kind of led you and what you reflected on, which I'd love to know. Did you feel pressure given the circumstances and how you grew up to go out and do something with your life? Or was there pressure to be an entrepreneur because it's what you grew up? I mean, where did that internal drive come from? Or was that just something that you were just always very curious about or a combination of both? It's a good question. I mean, my parents have never really pushed me to do something. Um, I think if you ask them, they'd tell you that like, I'm always free flowing and that, you know, I, I need to kind of go do whatever it is that I want to go do in order to really be happy. But, you know, going back to like my earliest years, um, I was actually born with something called primary immune deficiency, uh, which basically means like my white blood cell production is shorter, or I guess smaller, sorry, than the average person and my white blood cells aren't that smart. So uh, growing up, I got sick a bunch. And, uh, when I was growing up, I became the face for this nonprofit called the Jeffrey Modell Foundation. And I really did like two main things. One was, you know, I tried to help them uh, go get immunologists to become, or I'm sorry, go get med students to become immunologists. Uh, and then number two is helping them try to raise money. And, and I'll never forget like meeting these entrepreneurs who I just felt, you know, were fascinating uh, and who were donating really not only like their money, but they were donating their time. And I never felt smart enough to be a doctor. And I was like, okay, those people can keep me alive. But like the idea of like building a company and being able to really give back was like always really interesting to me. And then I've always just been the type of person that, you know, voraciously wants to learn about like everything and anything I can get my hands on. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think starting a company and exploring different industries uh, has certainly been a part of me since I was a little kid. Yeah, absolutely. I, what a cool experience to maybe turn a negative or a crisis, as my mom would say, into an opportunity and you know find the organizations or find the different opportunities to get involved and be an advocate for something that affected you in a positive way where you could learn and kind of, from sure, meet new people and pick up skill sets. So I think that's a just a really good life lesson uh, for sure. I mean, and just to go back to that time, right? And when you were a kid and took a formative time of your life, uh, what were you curious about then? I mean, you said you had such an insatiable curiosity. I mean, what were the things that you were really 
focused on or thinking about uh, that maybe led to you kind of bull rushing into the entrepreneur journey uh, as you entered college? Yeah, I mean, I've been interested in like the most random things for the longest period of time. And I would go down these like rabbit holes (laughs) of like, you know, I was interested in the psychology of like my friend groups. I was interested in sales. I got interested in like pocket bikes and like go-karts at one point. Um, But I, you know, when I, I would say when I hit middle school was like late middle school is when I got really interested in, in startups and technology in general. So like, like I mentioned, I mean, I was literally, I was finding business plans. Like when I went home to move out of our old house that I was writing, including like, I tried getting USPS to put advertising on the postal trucks back then. I mean, I remember when Facebook popped up, I was like, huh, I can start Facebook pages for celebrities and gain followings and sell them to them. And I was like, just finding ways constantly to like that at that point, it was like, I just want to find ways to make money. Um, But like, if I could just learn about something and when I started to like, when I found business and like specifically when I found like real business, like my first you know, job over at Identity Force and working under a former VC there when I was in high school. That's when I knew I was like, wow, these problems that people are trying to solve every single day and like the intellectual analysis that happens is something that just really gets my juices flowing. Yeah, I completely. I, I really love the kind of wide variety of topics and, and things that, you know, you always had an idea and you're interested in exploring. And then one more question, and then I kind of want to come back to the reflection and kind of the, the moment. Uh, you said your mom was a therapist. And do you think as a kid, maybe your emotional development was a, maybe a bit further along than maybe the people around you? And, and maybe if so, do you, do you happen to think that that enabled you to give more thought or intellectual curiosity to ideas because there was maybe an open and safe environment at the home front? Definitely. I mean, I think my mom, you know, has been somebody that's had a huge impact on my life in a variety of ways. Uh, I think, you know, I've always been a sensitive person um, and I had a lot of adversity or I felt like I had a lot of adversity, you know, growing up as a child that I had to overcome. And, you know, when things are rough and you're (laughs) honestly like, crying yourself to sleep at night because like you're missing school trips or like people are making fun of you for for having a disease like you kind of need to figure out like what your outlet is going to be and for some people like it can be a hobby or whatever it might end up being I think you know uh not necessarily even just an outlet, but the way that I kind of try to approach things was trying to communicate like what my feelings were. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I think that that's actually served me pretty well over the course of my life. I think, you know, in some ways I've been hardened and like don't necessarily express my feelings as much as I did maybe when I was a kid. But, uh, you know, in many other ways, uh, I think that having transparent conversations and being able to communicate effectively, which started out when I was a kid is one of the reasons why, uh, you know, I've been able to kind of climb the ranks and and get into the career and the profession I've been able to. Yeah. I, I, uh, one, I love that maybe analysis or reflection. And I, and I think it's a good transition point, but I love it because I've always believed personally that, I mean, similar to you, I think I, 
lot of adversity, learning communication at a young age, sensitive, very much uh, aligned in, in where you are. Uh, but learning how to express and communicate effectively at a young age, I think also enables kind of free form of ideas and exploration because you can kind of build things out. And I think words are the vehicle to enable you to see things uh, further out, whether that's in writing or even in your mind, just because you're able to unlock things because of the development inside of you. So I think it's a really interesting correlation and point. And, uh, you know, I agree, it's probably enabled you to meet the right people and have the right conversations to get you to where you are. So, oh, go ahead. I have one point on that, which by the way, in today's day and age, where like everybody's overly stimulated with their cell phones and YouTube and like dating apps, everything, like it is mind blowing to me. People need to be sitting down more and journaling because if you're not like sitting down and reflecting and processing, you're just letting life go by. And I think it's very difficult today, unless you're intentional about it, to kind of go about that reflecting and putting things into words, like you're saying. Oh my God, I, um, it's funny. I, I think self-reflection and self-discovery is, is a constant and evolving process and it never ends and something you should always do. Whether that's just a quick check-in with yourself at the end of the day of kind of where things are or, or end of the week, um, something I do with our business and then on my personal life is I have a set of goals for the business, set of goals for my own life around different areas. And that every week I, I write and I reflect against those goals. And I do think there's daily check-ins with journals and all the other things for more feeling to come out. But I agree. I think the reflection keeps you aligned on where you want to go if, if you are intentional and have a path you know, in front of you that you want to achieve. So well said. Um, and I think awesome transition. So you know, you, you, let's just say you, you had developed or started to develop these emotional, you know, maturity skills, the reflection skills. You came into college and were gung-ho on business. People looked up to you. You're you riding the entrepreneurial wave. And then, you know, to say it simply, you know, shit hit the fan and you had this identity crisis. Take, take us to that moment in time when this identity crisis was happening. What were the questions going through your head? What were you thinking about then? Um, and just, I would love for you to take us to that moment in time and, and share some of that processing if, if you're comfortable with that. Yeah, totally. Um, I definitely remember a moment in time. Uh, so we had an office in Framingham, Massachusetts that was on top of some like strip mall in the middle of nowhere. And I was sitting in an Adirondack chair that we had inside the office, because of course that's what you do when you have a boat shoe company. Um, and I, you know, we were starting to clean out the office at that point, and I was there alone, and I was there late at night. And I was like, you know, do I want to do this for the next 10 years? And I knew the answer was no. And I said, you know, to myself, if I don't want to do this for the next 10 years, like, what is it that I want to do? And, you know, it came down to really like three things that I felt like I would potentially want to do. One was, do I want to start another company again? Well, when you're burnt out and you just got beat up for the last two years and your bank account has less than like $400 in it. The idea of starting a company again feels like climbing Mount Everest. And I was like, I don't think I can do that. 
the second was, do I want to go work for a company? Like, do I want to go work for specifically like a startup? And I was lucky enough back in 2014 to have a lot of friends out there that were, you know, founders of companies and, and were looking out for me. And I probably would have had opportunities to go work for some of which have been great and like super successful. And, and I appreciate the mentorship of people back in Boston, you know, during that period of time in my life. Um, but as I started to think about it, I was like, I don't know if I want to go operate right now. Like, and, and then like this last thing popped up and I remember actually a few weeks before I was with this guy, Dave Spandorfer from John G. I was talking to him actually on the phone and I was in Miami and I was like, I don't really, I was thinking about what I wanted to do next to that point. He's like, well, like you ever considered like venture capital? And I was like, well, not really. And I was like, can you introduce me to somebody to talk about it and he's like yeah and he connected me to Julian Moncada who was at Lear at the time Lear Hippo Ventures and that one call like definitely changed the trajectory in terms of like my thought process on like what it was that I wanted to do in the next chapter of my life hmm. well Sony um you know what I think was so compelling to me or so interesting and I think for any younger entrepreneur any young, ambitious professional like yourself who doesn't always know. It's like you ask yourself the questions like, do I want to start another business? No, I'm probably not ready. I just got killed for two years, right? I, I want to go work for another or you, know, you just kept asking. It sounds like asking yourself the questions. And when someone says venture capital, it, it would kind of intuitively, oh, maybe like that's interesting. I want to explore that more. Can you make an introduction? And I think giving that level of intentional thought, maybe whether you knew back in the day that that's what you were doing, but really being careful about your next steps and maybe why uh, so, so neat that you actually took the time because I think so many people just rush into the next thing because you know, their friend's starting a company or their friend's working at this big company and they're not giving a thought what's going to make them happy and allow them to kind of stand out and be their full selves. So uh, love your process and what you kind of thought through. My, my question beyond that to you is, so once, you know, you had that conversation and the mentor, I forget his name that you said, but asked you about, have you thought about venture? You asked for an introduction. Uh, one, what happened next? Yeah. So the conversation with Julian at Lear, I, like, I remember I talked to him and I talked to a few other folks in venture. Basically with Julian, it was like, you know, if you want to get a job in venture, there's typically like a few ways to get in. It's like one, you know, you can sell a company and you can get in. Two, you can uh, you can go to like a really good school and go into like an analyst program afterwards, which a lot of people do these days. Um, three, maybe you work at a portfolio company or a company in general that takes off and then you get into venture. And then I was like, well, none of those really match my playbook. So it's like the fourth one. And it's like, well, go make yourself invaluable before you, you know, get a job. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, certainly can dive into that story. But I think, you know, for everybody listening, like one of the biggest exercises going back to like thinking about your next step or like what it is that you want to do. And I wrote a post about this on LinkedIn once. It's like you have to identify like what it is that you want to optimize for. And you can't optimize for everything. You can really only optimize for maybe two or three different things. So whether it's like 
where the job is, how much it pays, how much autonomy you get, what your title is, like what you're working on day to day. Like you got to really process these things. And that's the stuff you got to reflect. And I was lucky where like I did that reflection around venture capital. And then once I realized that that's what I wanted, I went after it in full force. Hmm. You, you, uh, two questions or one, one, one question, but two maybe. I think you're right. You maybe it sounds like when you say optimize for, you started at the end of where you wanted to go and then where you that once you decided that's the end point and the most obvious end point that I want to track towards, then you kind of made that focus extremely precise and, and darted after it. Um, beyond optimizing for working in VC, at that time of your life was the amount of money that you are making or going to make in the next couple of years at the forefront of your mind, or what sounds like just knowing just our recent observations, it sounds like you, you've always had more of a long-term focus. So I'm curious, you know, how much mo you know, money was a factor in maybe the first few years of like going after this, because considering how competitive the industry is. So I think like a common misconception of like early stage venture is that people make like a ton of money. <laughs> so, which also what I'll say is I'll kind of answer in two ways. Um, money was a factor in the sense that like, I knew I needed to be able to pay my bills and I knew I didn't have money. Right. With that said, the first job offer that I got in New York was at Corrigin Ventures. And I was on a 90 day trial making $17 and 50 cents an hour. And like, I love David Goldberg and, and, and Ryan Friedman, and they may laugh at me for bringing this up, but it was like, I originally got the offer for like the trial period. And I think I was going to get paid like for 20 hours a week. And I remember telling David, like, you know, you can pay me for however many hours a week you want. I'm working 80 hours. And all I cared about was being able to pay my bills and to get that job at Corrigin. And the experience was like what I wanted. And the idea of building a firm with those guys was like super exciting to me. And the autonomy was incredible. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I knew I needed to pay my bills, but I've definitely always taken a long view of things. I mean, even when I decided to come over to primary, you know, I had some other options that that compensation was was better. But um, I think that you need to dig down inside and figure out, you know, and by the way, some people may want to optimize for money and that might be what makes them happy. Like, I don't think that's wrong. I just, it's just not the thing that's for me personally. Yeah. Uh, so neat. And I, I think what you just said, right. You're intrinsically motivated by that maybe opportunity experience. And I've always believed maybe similar to you, the money will take care of itself. It's not that you shouldn't plan for it, but I think these first, the first decade of your career, like really getting, building the relationships and experience to go do something with, or even if you sacrifice pay in the short term, I think those relationships and those experiences truly compound if you're doing them in an aligned way to you. At least that's always been my philosophy. Um, and I, I, like how, I like how you say it. Uh, not that there's a perfect, like you said though, people have different value sets and things they want to optimize for. I think for the, the true intentional creators or people who have bigger aspirations, I think short-term sacrifices are very necessary around finances. So, um, so one, you you beat down the door. Like, take it maybe let's let's dive into that 90-day window. I'm gonna go work 80 hours a week. 
By the way, I love that answer. I, I, I think the hustle culture gets a lot of shit these days. And I, I, I think you just got to work hard and, you know, take care of yourself. But for you, like those, the 90 day period, uh, what was it like? What were you learning? What were you absorbing? What were you trying to prove? And any kind of moments from those three months that maybe stood out where you felt, yeah, this is, this is the path I'm supposed to be on. And like, this is why the fire is really burning. Yeah. So it, it's funny. I mean, the hustle, and by the way, like hustle porn is like a little bit crazy now. Like it is going like above and beyond, but I think it's about working smart, not yeah. just right now. I think, you know, before I got my job at Corrigin and the way I went about getting my job at Corrigin and then the first 90 days was all about working smart and hard. Right. <laughs> so you know, I mean, whether it was before I got the job, which required me, you know, driving for Uber at night, which, you know, you and I have talked about. And during the day I was sourcing deals. I mean, that was like me finding deals in Boston, sending them to VCs in New York that did not have good coverage in Boston. And that's how I tried to make myself invaluable. But once I moved to New York and once I was with Corrigin, it was all about like, figuring out what could I be really, really good at? Like, what do I, what did I feel like was my superpower? I found easy that other people found difficult and double down on that and also see where maybe the holes were inside of, you know, the firm, because at the end of the day, you know, venture firms are like basketball teams. Everybody plays a different position and, you know, you might already have a three point shooter. So now you need a point guard. And I decided I really wanted to play this role, which was, you know, one, I wanted to help build out the firm's infrastructure and that included, you know, uh, building out our investment memo process. And I really leveraged a lot of relationships I made over those previous months, hustling to get into VC to figure out what was the best process to craft uh, within a new firm. And number two was like, you know, we were a new firm. I wanted to build the brand for the firm. I wanted to build the brand for myself. I wanted to, you know, make noise and meet everybody and uh i was literally like taking a breakfast meeting every day a lunch meeting every day a dinner and maybe a drinks and like i was go 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 and everybody was gonna know who i was and i was gonna make connections and try to add value to every person that i met uh because i think one thing i've been blessed with is just like a good memory and like the ability to connect dots pretty well and if, you know, if you leave an interaction with somebody and, you know, you treat them well and you can help them out and, and you genuinely want to help them out, by the way, that's an important note, then I think uh, good things will come. And, and I was lucky enough to uh, end up at Corrigan for that period of time afterwards. Yeah. Uh, two things. Uh, one, I think you're right. You know, the more you can make yourself invaluable to others, you know, more of a linchpin and insert yourselves in periods of their lives to help them connect dots or put a relationship or an idea in front of them to navigate it, something they're thinking about, right? I think the more memorable and valuable you can become to people's lives. And it clearly needs to be done with intentionality and like a smart way of building a relationship for the long term. But I think that approach when meeting people is great. I think so many people, I think a lot of people think about the take or what they can get in, you know, very quickly. And I don't know if that, I think that can ruin the natural relationship building process. But uh, so that's really interesting. You took that approach. Something else that you said was, uh, I think really, really interesting was uh, 
when you got to Corrigin Ventures, uh, you you had to kind of you said everyone has a, a spot on the team and you had to find your way to insert yourself, which takes I think a lot of observation to understand where you can kind of go in and create your own niche uh, to make yourself invaluable. When you were kind of surveying the land and figuring out where you could kind of separate yourself and really create your kind of foothold within the business, what did it take for you to develop your own kind of niche? Like what, when did it strike you that, you know, if I supplant myself in this part of the business, I can really stand out and make, make a go of this. This one's like a catch 22 in a lot of ways, because I think that, you know, you walk into a place and well, if you walk into a place, by the way, and you do the observation after you get there, uh, you might end up in a place where like you realize what needs to be done is not something that you are going to enjoy doing. And it might not be something that you also are good at. Hmm. So going back to an earlier part of the conversation around like what it is that you want to optimize for when you're looking at jobs or looking at places, I think that's when you need to figure out what is it that you want. So when people come to me and they say, Hey, I'm looking for a job in venture. The first thing, you know, I tend to ask them about is like, well, what type of a job in venture? Because there's thesis driven investors, there's investors that just source, there's investors that just do diligence, there's investors that are full stack and work super closely with companies, there's investors that spray and pray and invest in 50 or 60 companies a year. And so, you know, before I went to Corrigin, I remember in my interview with David Goldberg, I handed him a, a folder and the folder had uh, amongst, you know, other things was a list of people that I would introduce his portfolio companies to that I felt like would be value add. And I think the message and the positioning, like the messaging I was trying to send and the positioning I wanted to, to have him evaluate me by was I want to come in, be a power networker that's going to meet the biggest and best people that will add value to our firm in terms of being potential investments or be able to add you know, value to our portfolio companies because I genuinely enjoy, the reason I'm in venture is like, I genuinely enjoy working with the companies and the founders themselves and the employees there and trying to help them live their mo most successful, fulfilling life. And you know, that pitch in that interview brought me into a place that wanted that. Mm. And that's how I ended up, you know, kind of going down that path. So neat. Uh, I'm aligning with you and a lot of the things you're saying, even though being on the founder side, right? Always thinking about the client at hand or the team member at hand, um, the connecting of dots and having a feel for how to do it and, and really do it well, I think is, is so invaluable. Uh, and I'll also add to that, it's one of the best skills you can develop before you have the credibility of like the work, uh, you know, behind you, because it's a big asset and you can give value and maybe you don't have a service or a product or a, you know, insight to provide, but you, you know how to put people together and you can keep climbing that mountain of relationships because people trust you. Uh, if you do it in the right way, I think it can pay off. Um, so cool, uh, so much valuable feedback advice for these younger professionals. Uh, question, so 
when as you started to build a stronghold within Corrigin, how maybe share can zoom out a bit and talk to us about how your career and venture this choice that you made years ago has evolved and pivoted maybe slightly to get to where you are today. Yeah. So, you know, I spent two years at Corrigin and it was a really, really incredible ride. And, and I'm forever grateful for the shot that, you know, Ryan and David gave me. Um, you know, I didn't come from a family with like a ton of money and connections in New York City that were LPs and funds. Like, so for them to give me that shot and, you know, to make investments while I was there was great. I came up on the, you know, the end of the two years and I had the opportunity to meet an entrepreneur named Mark Gerson who bootstrapped the company Gerson Lehrman Group or GLG. And Mark had asked me if I wanted to come over and launch his family office and really be like, you know, his right hand. And as part of that, you know, I would be doing venture investments and incubations. I'd be doing LP investments and nonprofit work. And we would also be launching a mentor network between high net worths and pro athletes. And going back to like the, what do I want to optimize for piece? I was like, well, this is an interesting opportunity, but I have, you know, some other opportunities I was talking to at the time. It's like, what would I be optimizing for if I take this? And at the end of the day, you know, one, Mark, uh, who, who's a real mensch and, uh, you know, is insanely well networked, um, you know, I felt like was going to teach me a couple of things. One was uh, he was going to open up his network to me, which was going to help me really take things to the next level. Uh, and two, you know, there's not too many entrepreneurs in New York City that have grown a company to over, you know, a billion dollars in value uh bootstrapped so to be able to, to see that day to day and then to be able to communicate with a person like that and get their buy-in i think is a skill set from a communication standpoint that i wanted so i went over there and uh, i launched that and you know i worked on that strictly for about six months um until a portfolio company needed some support in restructuring after it spun out of another one so for about a year, uh, you know, and, and that was a decision of, of mine when Mark asked me if I would help join this portfolio company with him as the chief of staff, you know, I had some scar tissue going into that role because I was like, man, I had operated, I had failed. Like, am I going to be good enough to do any of this stuff? But once again, it was like, I'm 26, I'm 25. When else am I going to have the opportunity to like go help raise venture capital and have a 30 person team and like, you know, get to operate in a really interesting industry that's B2B SaaS, which I've never done. So I said, yes. And I did that. And then when we got to the tail end of, of that company, um, I knew that uh, I want to get back into venture and I knew I wanted to be at a place that was, uh, you know, on the rise uh but a place that was super malleable still like you know where you could put your stamp on it and a place that i could really lead deals and invest in only a few companies a year and be able to roll up my sleeves and what's unbelievable about the team at primary and when i met them was not only did it like check all of those boxes but they have this incredible portfolio impact team where there are executives like Cassie Young and Rebecca Price and, you know, Bob Peruzzi, who we used to work with, who go in and are literally like a hundred times smarter than me when it comes to all of the things that they do and are helping the founders a hundred times more than I'd ever be able to in those ways. And I think that 
the aligning of the stars and being able to be aligned with my mission, uh, that just made it the obvious choice for me. Mm. So it's so neat. I mean, it reminds me, well, one, thank you for sharing kind of the journey and the evolution and segue, but it also takes me back to how you just thought about getting into venture and how you, you know, applied yourself at Corrigan. Like the same process of intentionality of, you know, you said the stars aligning, but you kind of had, a, I think, a vision a bit of what you wanted. And so when the opportunity to take on this next step in your your life and career kind of presented itself, you knew it was a was a fit naturally because the network and opportunity that opened up the success behind the founder and just the network of people involved. So it would naturally be a next step in your career and your trajectory. I mean, is that fair to say? Yeah, I, def I definitely think so. Um, at the time, I mean, you really got to sit down and like, and start to think about these things. Cause when you're looking for a job, the best advice I can give you is like run a process. Like don't let the companies only control the process. Like you can run a process, but you should run a process with clear eyes. And that way, if, you know, no matter what job offer you get at that point, they're ones that you're going to want. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, question for you, you know, I mean, zooming a bit out of venture, I mean, when you, Jason, kind of look at your life and kind of think about it at the end of it, you know, what's it all worth? I mean, you love this idea of intentionality that I think you've brought to this entire conversation, but when you kind of look back beyond work, right? I bet you're the kind of guy who cares about other things in life as well that you care about. Like where, what do you want to be known for? How do you see kind of your legacy if you had one kind of playing out 30, 40 years from now? Yeah really really good question and a, and a deep one um you know i think my mission in life is really about uh, and i kind of alluded to it before but it's about empowering other people to live a more successful fulfilling life and the way that i'm hoping to really do that um is by helping people you know get the tools and the relationships that they need and i mean it's part of the reason that like i said like yeah like let's do this chat like let's have this conversation because you know, if 45 minutes of my time lands, you know, one piece of advice that helps somebody in this world, like that's what energizes me. And that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. Um, you know, so I, I think I'm just going to continue to make decisions every single day, whether that's through, you know, the portfolio companies that we're investing in that hopefully the founders are, are doing something similar to that with their employees or, um, you know, the other things that I do outside of work, or maybe, you know, eventually one day in my next chapter of life, what I end up getting into, like, I'm sure everything will have that North Star in mind. Yeah. So well said. Uh, especially about, you know, like, why you showed up for this conversation alone, like, if, if it impacted one person, whether you know them or not, right, I'm sure it'll impact people, you know, uh, but if it impacted, if it changed one person's life and empowered them to lead a better life, like this, this, this time was worth it, right? Uh, and I think it's just a beautiful way to kind of navigate and move through life and kind of make decisions and thinking about what's the, what's the impact on other people? Um, sounds like your mom or family raised you well and kind of good value set. And, uh, you know, Jason, really appreciate you making time for us 
today. Um, if, if someone was to reach out to you and say, hey, I would love to connect or, hey, I have a, a deal I want to send your way just to take a look at, you know, what's the best place to find you or connect with you? Yeah. So give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Jason R. Schumann, S-H-U-M-A-N. Um, and feel free to follow me, send me a DM, tweet at me. That's probably the best way as my uh, my LinkedIn mail tends to get a little bit too crowded. There you go. Yeah. I'm sure you get lots of people reaching out for money and deals, but uh, that investor title seems to attract. Um, Jason, this was such a pleasure. Uh, I really appreciate you showing up as your full self and uh, excited to kind of watch your future unfold. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me, Brian. Good luck. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, I hope you leave a review on the platform of your choice and share it with a friend who you think would find it valuable. If you'd like to receive our written newsletter and thought leadership, head on over to bwmissions.com backslash newsletter and subscribe. See you on the next show.